Hey there, traders. Thank you guys so much for joining us here at Trade Delicious. We have another treat for you today. Today, our guest is someone who is new to Trade Delicious, but is an absolute veteran of the markets. Nearly 30 years in the trading account now at Trading as a Veteran. He started off as a clerk on the London Metals Exchange under his father many, many years ago. Worked his way up from clerk to broker at a variety of different banks that manage not billions, but trillions of dollars in an asset that's trillions with a T. He left the institutional world in 2009, and now he shares his thoughts with us retail traders in order to make sure we don't go down the wrong path. So many of us do, losing our shirts, losing accounts because we trade the wrong way. It is my honor to introduce to some and to present to others the incredibly passionate Paul Scott. Paul, oh, how you doing, sir? Very well. How are you, buddy? I'm great, thank you. And and Paul, I wanted to talk to you and open things up about something that you've done in, in your other interviews. It's always our goal to to make sure we're not going over the yeah. same stuff multiple times. Obviously, you know, you talk a lot about your father being a metals trader for 35 years. Incredible career it seemed like he had. And you really jumped into it at 16, which is crazy to think about. So what was it like having a father as a trader looking over your shoulder your early on in your clerking years and your broker years? Um, I probably got more of a bollocking than anybody else um, because obviously he he had a reputation and, and you know, he... <laughs> You know, he wanted to make sure that, you know, you were doing things correctly, essentially. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of it's a baptism of fire, really. It is. It's, it's very much a, you know, pick you up and throw you in at the deep end sort of um, sort of job. You know, it's not it's not like a real job. I always say to people, I've never done a real day's work in my life. It's just because it's, it's such a different, you know, sort of vocation than, than most people ever go into. And it's obviously a very, very small select group of people that actually ever get to work on a trading floor whether it be an open outcry trading floor or whether it be an office-based trading floor you know it's a real real small band of people so yeah it was a heck of a lot of fun um always good to have him to sort of fall back on uh, you know always ask him you know, various different things. I mean, I remember uh, doing my trading exams and I've said this in another interview, but he would, you know, he'd go, right, I'm going to test you on this. And then he'd be going through the questions and going, well, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. What do you need to know that for? That's got nothing to do with trading metals and stuff like this. And so, you know, it was an encouragement, but then also, you know, he was very set in his ways. Obviously, he'd been trading metals for a heck of a long time. And, you know, again, I'm sort of approaching, you know, sort of the length of his career. He started a little bit later than I did in life. But, you know, you know at the age of 16, it was it was literally what you're going to do right. with the rest of your life. And at 16, no idea. So grateful for him to sort of bring me into that world yeah. um, and and sort of show me the ropes and to give me the opportunity. Uh, and then I went and got a job with Credit Leonay and we kind of moved on from there. And um, yeah, the rest is history, I suppose you could say. There you go. And I, I think that's a really big theme that you talk about 
a lot, whether that be on your site or whether that be um, through the blog or any of your other interviews, you've often discussed this idea of traders need a certain level of pedigree and not in terms of necessarily blood relations. Of course, everyone jumping into trading doesn't have a dad trading, but you learn to trade from people that were real professionals. And that helped to really shorten that learning curve for you and also just make you more successful. So how do you, what, what do you say to the retail trader that is jumping in for the first time? Where should they look for their education? Wow. Certainly, I mean, again, I'm going to understand the irony if when I speak, um, people could say, well, that's a little bit ironic. You know, it's a little bit, um, what's the bloody word? I don't want it to come across as arrogant. Um, But I mean, you know, there's so many places you can go and it's all based on rubbish. Do you know what I mean? So we, where should you go? Look for a, 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 an ex-professional. Mm. Look for, you know, somebody that actually cut their teeth in the real world as opposed to, you know, YouTube. And I appreciate this is going to go up on YouTube, so there's the irony there. Um, but, you know, YouTube and, and social media and all of this stuff, it's 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 not based upon real life because if it was based upon real life, then all of these guys would be working on trading floors and you would never hear of them. So, of course, that doesn't happen, which means they haven't really got any real life experience, which means you shouldn't listen to them at all. Um, you know, as, as much as, you know, I say, look, I've been doing this nearly 30 years. There's another guy, uh, Anton Creel, um, in the city of London in the same at the same time, roughly the same age. The paths never crossed, but we say the same things um, that, you know, look, if you're going to learn learn how to do it from somebody that has got real life experience otherwise what's the point um which it it doesn't make it any easier because there's there's not very many of us out there that are actually teaching retail traders um but my thing would be if somebody approaches you and says you know chart patterns trend lines indicators uh you know macd bollinger bands fibonacci all i just it's just rubbish that's not trading that's not how trading is done and it never has been those are analytical tools for analysts to describe past movements that's what they're there for again i've I've said this in every interview i've ever done um do you really think that there is somebody sitting there at a bank maybe it be barcap maybe it be hsbc maybe it be goldman maybe it be jp they're sitting there looking for chart patterns on charts you don't even do you know what i mean again this thing with with candlesticks and stuff like that you don't look at things like that it's literally it's just a price on a screen you you click buy sell you click buy sell it's just literally a price um so where can people go i mean obviously look people like myself um i have a, a passion for teaching retail traders um sort of how things work, how the markets work, how they should conduct themselves, um, you know, managing expectations. Um, <clears throat> again, mentioning Anton, you know, if you go and look at his material, um, again, he's basically saying, look, this is how markets are structured. This is how we should be trading. Um, we trade in sort of, you know, different styles. Um, mine is to say, hey, look, 
you're not in control of this market. You never have been. You never will be. So just give up control. Um, but we can get onto that in a, in a in a little bit. So I mean, so where should people go? It's such a tough one um, because, as you can imagine, I don't look for trading education. Um, if somebody sends me something in a link and says, "Oh, what what do you think of right. this person?" and you know, or they send me a video link or whatever, and it's just like I get twenty seconds in, and it's like the guy's talking crap, and they're like, "How do you know after twenty seconds?" <laughs> Been doing this a long time. Do you know what I mean? You, you you just know exactly if somebody's talking truth or if somebody's talking trash. So, but for a retail trader, you don't know that. So it's very difficult for you to sort of pick the wheat from the chaff, really, because it's the, the market is saturated with rubbish. But one of the conditions of being a human being, I suppose, is if you keep hearing the same thing over and over and over, then you naturally assume, well, this must be the way that banks trade and institutions trade. Otherwise, why is the Internet full of it? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a great that's a great segue into my next question, because, you know, you, you talk a lot about the real value, just understanding price. At the end of the day, we oftentimes forget that we call ourselves traders, not because we speculate on a market, but because at one point in a trading market, we were literally trading goods and services for other goods and services. Yeah. That's the core of everything. Everything is driven by price, supply and demand. So when you think about the way that big banks trade in terms of prices being cheap or prices being expensive, how do you put that across to the traders that you work with? What is the kind of, I don't, I don't want to say elevator pitch because you do such a good job of expanding upon what that means, but at its core, what it does it mean to trade supply and demand? Basically, you, you've got to look at commerce and say, right. So, how does commerce work? What does you know? What's the natural cycle of things? Um, commerce works in a in a sense of if you were a guy that's got a shop that sells motorbikes, as an example, right? You don't buy the motorbikes for what you're going to sell them at because you would never make any money. So you would buy at a wholesale price and sell at a retail price. One is cheap, one is expensive. Yeah. Um, with trading, you have this beautiful opportunity that if you think something is overvalued, you can sell it short without actually having to own the underlying asset, which, of course, is a big bonus because everything is traded for in the future. So if you understand that markets are all split up into ranges, Okay, so if you can just imagine level at the bottom is cheap, level at the top is expensive. Now, what's going to happen is, is you're going to play out in this range until something fundamentally then happens, which means if the price goes up and we get to a level that we would deem or was previously been expensive, let's say that, you know, three or four or five times the last time we got to this price, it reversed. Now, that's on the basis of what was happening in, in the world then. We might get there this time around and something fundamentally has changed. So this price that was previously expensive now becomes cheap. So now you want to be buying. So what happens is, is you then break above that level and you close above that level. So then this price here that was expensive 
and was the top of your range now becomes cheap and is now the bottom of your range. And then you have another price up here that you would deem to be expensive, which is going to be the top of your range. Then all you do is, is you play out in that range until something fundamentally changes again. And you either go back down a range or you go up another range. And especially in the foreign exchange market, you can trace these levels all the way back to the inception, excuse me, in the early 70s of free and flowing currency rates. So prices that were relevant back in the 80s are still relevant in the right. 2020s. Now, obviously, lots of things have changed between then and here, but that doesn't matter for us as speculators in the foreign exchange market. Levels that were made and created back then will be respected today and will be traded from today. So then you have to then look at markets and say, right, so time is of no consequence to us. Now, in the retail world, everything is about time, multiple time frame analysis. Oh, I drop down to a one-minute chart to find a better entry and gibberish, absolute gibberish. If you have set specific prices that you have been trading from for decades, or not necessarily just you, but the institution that you work for have been using these levels for decades. This is kind of like the education that comes down when you first start from the people that you you are learning from, because obviously they've been doing the job for a lot longer than you have. And so that knowledge gets passed down, and it's kind of, I suppose, maybe kind of like a fast-tracking system. But the whole point of working for an institution is to make as much money as possible. So, of course, you're going to be shown how to do that. It's not as if you could just, you literally turn up, let's say, I mean, I started at 16, but, you know, kids today, maybe 18, right? So they start at 18. It's not like you're going to get, you know, JP Morgan go, right, there you go, kid. There's a $5 million account. Um, just go and figure it out for yourself. That's, do you know what I mean? That That's never, ever going to happen. Um, so, yeah, Good exactly. Luck. Right. Good luck. So, but cheap and expensive. Well, this is the whole thing. It's just like the value, so price and value. These are the two key things. So set prices, you're going to have a value which will either be cheap or it will be expensive, i.e. speculation is going to be, look, we want to buy or we want to sell. Now, what I teach people is, and unfortunately in America, you can't hedge, you're not allowed for some stupid reason. You're not allowed to mitigate your risk Apparently, it's too risky to mitigate risk in America. doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever yeah. um, as a retail. It's very it's very risky to mitigate risk. Yeah, of it course, is. to diversify your risk is ridiculous to not be allowed to do that. But hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not in charge. Um, but what I teach people is, is to hedge, is to just, see, just right. be so super honest with themselves and go, look, the market doesn't know who you are. It doesn't know what you think. It doesn't know what analysis you've done. And look, quite frankly, it's the market. It wouldn't give a shit anyway, even if it did know, right? It's going to do what it's always done. It's going to move from particular price levels. Now, knowing where those prices are, that is like golden. You must know where they are. So you must know where you want to be speculating from. But then to say to yourself, right. Of course. Now, what's more important to me? Is it direction of market or is it movement in a market? Mm. Which one is most important? What would you say? In my eyes, I would say movement. Good man. Movement. 
So what? Right. So what happens when it gets to this level? Is it cheap or is it expensive? Quite frankly, I don't care. All I want is that market to move. So volatility is my friend here. All right. So I want that market to move away. I don't care in which direction it goes. So then what I do is is I have a, a particular price level. I have fixed stop losses either side of this level which then essentially creates a window around that level. And that window is basically saying to the market, look, you pick your direction. I don't care in which direction you go. I just want you to move. And so from there, if it comes down and it bounces, my sell trade don't work, my buy trade works. If it comes down and it goes and breaks and closes below that level to change its current value, then again, I don't really care that that happens. All I want is movement. And so when you stop caring about time and you stop caring about bias and you stop caring about direction and you stop essentially really overthinking and just reacting, again, this is is probably not one of the easiest things for people to stop doing, but just stop thinking. You know, you're not in control. You never have been. You never will be. So don't fight against that. Use it to your advantage. Obviously, in America, you're not allowed to hedge, which is unfortunate. Well, I suppose there's ways around it, you know, which we won't really discuss, but I'm sure there are ways around it and people can figure out how to do that. Um, But that's the best way to trade. Of course. You know, that's the best way to trade. And just as, as, you know, as as we were sort of building up to doing this interview, I was saying, you know, look, I've been working with a very, very clever maths guy. Uh, He's a real numbers man not the way that my brain works. I can't calculate all of this stuff. I just, I'm just a dumb trader that just sits there and clicks buttons, right? This guy's amazing. Um, but he said, look, I love you as a, t- I love you as a right. teacher, but what I want to give you the ability to do with statistics is to show people that, look, if they stick to a certain set of parameters, um, stop losses, take profits, you know, and, and, stuff like this and there's going to be a few little nuances in there as well um you know we're refining it and refining it and refining it but basically so we we went back to the first of january 2008 and we drilled it all the way down to a 60 second chart you know what i mean so a one minute chart and all of the data that was input now he's created um like a specific algorithm to be able to do this he's coded it all in the background really clever guy but basically we put it all together and we said right okay so using this stop loss using this take profit no manual intervention trading through news so of course you're not necessarily going to be doing that manual intervention comes into play but this was just literally letting this thing stick to a certain set of parameters um well since the first of jan of 2008 up to Last Friday, um, this thing had made over 740%, which is roughly around about 50% a year, which is if you're a real trader and you're making 50% a year, that is a very, very consistent, but that's the sort of levels that you're aiming for because you're appreciating that this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. I need to find something that works. I need to find something that works in all conditions. I need to find something that's very sustainable. And you've got 
the statistics there to back it up. So, I mean, as we said, you know, uh, in 2022, um, I think the average hedge fund lost around about 7%. And then we, we mentioned a couple of names that perhaps dropped a little bit more money than that um, and sort of took that percentage way, way worse. But this is the thing. If you've got, <laughs> you know, if you've got something there yeah. that is very, very consistent, that's that that's that's what you want you know you don't want you know like you were saying we were saying about trading crypto and things like that and people were like oh, hey i made like 25 percent on one trade how much were you risking probably quite a bit i mean the thing that we we came up with it was just a one percent model right you know so that's like real real conservative you know if you exponentially that out to two percent three percent i mean the numbers would just be crazy but it's about getting something that's very, very consistent and just and, and sticking to your guns and, and knowing, you know, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and for me, it's just about it's consistency. That's the thing. Now, obviously, going to be ups and downs along the way. But, you know, if you can be very, very consistent over an extended period of time, then you are a trader. It doesn't make you a trader just because you open a, a, an account with a broker and you, put, and you put money in. That don't make you a trader. That just makes you a person that's opened an account up and put money in. That's all that is, you know. Um, so, yeah, hugely long-winded answer to your question. Back to you. <laughs> No, I think I think that's great because you know I'm, I'm really interested in learning more, and I think that our audience is very interested in learning more about that exact thing—the difference between being a person with a trading account and being a trader. That that there's a gap in understanding there, and that's what we're trying to do, just to fill that gap. Now, you mentioned before, of course, this idea that I I really enjoyed and I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. You made in, in one of your other interviews, you made this really interesting kind of metaphor where, where you talk about, you know, when you're showing your spouse something you want to buy, you're showing your spouse a picture. When I show my wife, you know, I, I, I work with woodworking yeah. tools. So when I'm showing my wife a new tool that I need for whatever reason, I'm showing her a picture. Yeah. What she's looking at is the price of that item. Yeah. First and foremost. So when you're thinking about markets and you're thinking about price, how much does charting matter to you, if at all? Candlesticks or Heikinashi bars, whatever you use, how much does that play a role? Or is that just for you another tool to understand price? I'm sure you could trade without candlesticks oh, at all, right? I mean, 100%. I mean, you know, the thing, I mean, again, I understand the irony of what I'm, what I'm about to say, but I mean, I teach people using candlesticks. A, it's what they're used to. B, it's a very good way to demonstrate um, how price moves away from sort of certain levels. But once you understand that, and it's kind of, there's a language on a chart and it's just like so simple um, so if you had a naked chart and you literally marked it up, it's how I show how I teach people. But it, it's it's three candlesticks that can only ever do one of three things. It, it's that bloody simple. 
once you understand that and once you know where your trading levels are you don't get the ch charting's done you don't need to do it again because you have your price levels and that's all you're interested in is your price levels i couldn't give a toss if you oh there's an engulfing candle there's a double top there's a uh, you know uh, there's a cup of saucer there's a head and shoulders there's uh, that's just an absolute fallacy it's just rubbish um so i mean you could look at you could mark a chart up as long as you've got your levels you could use any way in which to sort of graphically represent it but then you can then come down to it and go well i don't care about that that doesn't make any difference i'm just interested in price value when it gets there don't care just move but i'm interested in right these are the places that i'm going to be speculating from so when i do show people it's like the reason that i like I said, again i use candlesticks is because of a very very easy and simple way to demonstrate right look look at this level here look at it look at it in 2023 look at it in 2018 look at it in 2012 look at it in 90 you know 2008 look at it in 2006 look at it you know 98 look at it here let's go back to the uh, sorry let's go back to the uh, to the 80s let's go back to the 70s and what have we had we've had the same movement from the same place over and over and over and over again which tells you what this must, this price here must be a very important price for the people that run the market. Well, the people that run the market are investment banks. Um, and so that's where you want to trade from. Now, once you've got, like I say, once you've got those figures, once you've got those numbers, charting's finished, done, don't need it. So there's no constant analysis, overthinking. That's, that is the worst thing that people do is overthink, overcomplicate. Right. Trading is a very, very simple thing. If you let it be a simple thing, if you want to be a human being that, again, just overcomplicates life, overthinks things, it's 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 nuts. I mean, you go back to the analogy of you know you you, you sit down with your other half and you go right, I need this. Look at the picture. This is what I need, right? And she goes, well, yeah, I'm looking down here at the price. See, why? Because she's been conditioned and you've been conditioned and I've been conditioned and so has everybody else on the planet has been conditioned ever since you were a child that when you ask for something it's not the thing that makes the determination of can you have it it's the price of it so you hear from mum, dad, other family members so, yeah, that's, yeah, you know, yes you can have that because they make a judge, very quick judgement call based upon the price yeah, sure, I can afford that. Yeah, you can have it. Well, no, it's too expensive. You can't have that. But that's drummed into you from a very, very, very early age. And so what you're actually doing there is you're making a determination about a price. Is it cheap or is it expensive? And you do that in your everyday life. But then when it comes to trading, why does that go out of the window? Why does that thought process completely disappear and you think oh no F mr fibonacci he was the one he got it right let's look at it like that i mean who the hell walks around looking at the world through the lens of fibonacci or bollinger bands or chart patterns or trend lines who does that in their everyday life 
nobody well, unless you are a maybe a scientist or a mathematician or somebody like that but the general populace nobody looks at things like that so why when it comes to trading do you think that we would completely overcomplicate it for ourselves working at institutions why would we make it ridiculously difficult to do that doesn't make any sense over to you Right. And at its core, it's a business, right? So we're, we're all trying to produce returns. Yep. And that's, that's especially true for big banks and for large institutions. Yep. One thing I've always enjoyed that you talk about is understanding the supply and demand levels. I'd love to jump a little bit more into that, just a hair. When you talk about movement and seeing something fundamentally change to where, say, we get to a demand zone and that area has somehow fundamentally changed. So now instead of us bouncing off of it, as we may have three or four or five times in the previous, we've now accepted below it and we're moving below that level now, although we have not in recent memory. What do you have to see in order to indicate a fundamental change in that market? Or is it something that comes with experience? Well, that's the thing. It, 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 again, there, if I was to say to you, you're overcomplicating it. See, something might change the value, hmm. but why do you care? Why do you care what it is? Do you know what I mean? This, this is one of those things, and I know it might sound a bit weird hmm. and a little bit, it's not flippant, but it's like, hey, look, when it gets there, if it changes value, I don't care that it's changed value. I just know that it has. So could you, would there be a precursor leading up to it? Well, maybe you've got some fundamental news. Maybe a central bank has come out and, and, and made an announcement. Um, you know, maybe there's been a conflict. You know, there's a plethora of things that could change that value. But at the end of the day, if I sort of sit there and I'd mull it all over and I overcomplicate it in my mind and I listen to all this noise then A, I very well might get it wrong. Uh, B, it might not be happening yet. And then C, why am I worried about that stuff? If all I want is movement, do I care what causes that movement? Hmm. No. I don't care what causes it. I just want it to move. That's all. And so, it's it, again, it's not a flippant way of trading, but it's just you're stripping every single thing back and just saying, right, fundamentally, if a market moves sideways, I don't make any money. If a market can be volatile up and down, up and down, up and down, I can make money because what I want is movement. What causes it? Don't care. Just want it. Right. Does that answer that? Huh. Huh. You know, Paul, that, that uh, obviously, of course, you know, I'm, I'm a retail trader, right? I didn't, I didn't work at the CME. I didn't work at the New York Stock Exchange here in the States. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously for me, that's a, that's a really interesting shift because my immediate, my immediate idea is, is to go figure out why. And like you said, we've, we've been conditioned to do different things. And the reason why I do that is because I've been conditioned to care yeah. about that. 
So it's a real shift to think, why, why do I care to begin with? I'm here to make money. And the news, it it might be fun to know, but it doesn't change how much is in the account. Well, the other thing is as well, if you sit there and you go, right, look, there are at banks and institutions, there are analysts that some of them paint pictures to send out reports to clients another group of them will be sitting there crunching all the numbers right so you pretty much know within a decent ballpark figure what nfp is going to be what cpi figure is going to be you know what manufacturing figures are going to be before they even come out so you've can't you've already included that in your current valuation so if you've already included that in your current valuation then ask yourself do institutions actually really give a shit about the news? Not really. They do if something unexpected comes along. Right. All right something unexpected comes along. Let's just say for argument's sake that just right. out of... The, but even that's short term. Yeah. Right. But let's just say for argument's sake that out of the blue, the Fed comes out at its next meeting and says, we're slashing interest rates in half. But they didn't give any prior warning to this. They just came out and did it. Now, you weren't expecting that. So you would do a very quick revaluation. I could give you an example um, back in 2016. So we had the vote on the UK to leave the European Union. Right. It was priced in that the British public would not vote to leave the European Union. Right. But we did. There was a very, very quick revaluation that had to be done in an instant by the institutions. And they lost a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, a couple of months later, we had a flash flash crash in the pound. Hmm. Lots of money was made from that one. Maybe that was to claw back a little bit of what they'd lost before. That's a story for a different day. But, you know, it's sort of fundamentally, you, you can't, you, you've just sort right. of got to look at it and, and just appreciate that um, don't overcomplicate things. Just react. It's a good impression of a dog, by the way. Right. And, and that's, and that's really, that's incredibly helpful, my friend, because, you know, it's, it's always so hard for us. I think for a lot of us as traders, we, we come into this game trying to understand things through an analysis perspective and we end up in analysis paralysis yeah. because we think about too many things. I know when I first started, my charts were covered in all kinds of pretty colors, uh, but none of them were green because I wasn't making any money. Um, and so it's really, it's really helpful to have that perspective. And I, and I know that, you know, your time's incredibly valuable, so I don't, I don't want to push too much, but I, I have to ask, you know, what, of course, your training as an institutional trader, I'm sure helped you immensely, but did you ever struggle with these kinds of issues of like analysis paralysis or, or was this just something that never, because of your training, never really had, was a problem was for you? a problem because that, that wasn't my job. My job wasn't to be an analyst. We had analysts, 
that were analysts and were employed to be analysts, if that makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting there pouring over charts and, you know, nudging the guy next to me and going, oh, look, it's just about to break a trend line and stuff like that. I mean, you just look at each other and just shut up. What are you talking about? <clears throat> so it's, it's, yeah, it's not sort of something that you, you get taught to do. Um, I mean, again, I, I, I've, I've said this to people, right? Just a real simple thing. Just go and Google, right? London Metal Exchange trading floor, right? And click on images and then show me the person down there that's stuck there glued to a screen looking at candlestick formations and Bollinger Band levels or Fibonacci levels or whatever. Or you could, again, you could put institutional traders trading desk into Google. And again, you could click on image and you call it up and it's just news and price. Yeah. And your instant messaging. So you're getting requests for quotes by your, you know, clients and stuff like that. Again, show me the person that's sitting there pouring over all of these charts and putting all of this weird and wonderful analysis all over it. You might have a chart on the screen. Yeah, sure. But all that's doing is tracking price. There's no weird and wonderful, you know, indicators of all this stuff all over it. So, I mean, again, if you, that's all right, mate. Um, if you just, again, it's just real simple things, but if they haven't got it and they're not doing it, why are you? Because you've been told that that's how it works. And if you've been told that that's how it works, and again, I've said this on many occasions as well, if you go to a broker's website and they offer you an educational section, like, seriously, they are not going to teach you how to make money and take their money <laughs> and close their business down. That would be stupid. If they could teach you a load of rubbish, know that it doesn't work, and do it on purpose, <clears throat> and literally do it on purpose, and also work in conjunction with people that, again, perpetuate the same story, then what they know is, is Mr. Jones <clears throat> uh, here, he's basically put some money into his trading account. He's had a really crap education. As soon as he clicks buy, we're just going to click sell. Because if he gets it wrong eight times out of ten, all we have to do is just take the other side of his trade. That's easy. That's an easy way to make money. Then when he actually does win on the other two, he's so not used to winning that he bails out early. So we lose a little bit there, but we make a heck of a lot there. And so none of your trades ever hit the market. I don't care what people say. Oh, I've got straight through processing. I've got ECN. I've got, right, really? Think about this. Okay. If the foreign exchange market on a daily basis turns over $7.5 trillion a day, so that spot as forwards, as options, right, swaps. If it turns over $7.5 trillion a day, let's put that into perspective. Right. Let's turn seven and a half trillion dollars into seconds. Into seconds. So if we were to do that, it's okay. two hundred. It's just over two hundred and forty-eight thousand years. That's a big number. 
So when you see the, you know, these people in the in the retail market or whatever, hey, I'm trading five lots, ten lots. Really? You are a grain of sand in the Sahara Desert. You are nothing. Your volume doesn't affect the market. The institutional world doesn't care about the retail market because the retail world is just a simulation of the real game. Call it a game. I always call it a game because it is. It's got rules. But you're playing a simulation of a game. It might look the same, might sound the same, but it's not the same. You're only ever trading against your broker. You're never trading against the real market. And so if, if you have a really bad education and you don't know the rules of the game, well, you can never play the game properly. And if you can't play the game properly, you can't be successful. And this is why so many people fail. It's not because they're stupid by any stretch of the imagination, because I believe anybody can trade. You just need to be able to, you know, you just need to be shown the right things and, you know, the right set of rules. But it's, it's, it's a case of most people give up because they can't find anything out there that works. And the reason for that is because is it's not based on the real world. It's not based upon the rules of the real game. Back to you. Wow. I, I, never, I never think about things in terms of Two hundred fifty thousand. Like that's so. That's such a long period of time, and that's just a daily basis in the forex market. So it's it's really beautiful to put that into that perspective. And I think that's a really great place to end things for this or for this kind of episode, Paul. I can't I can't thank you enough for your wisdom, my friend. I've taken a lot away from this, even even as a trader. You know, I don't have nearly your experience, but I've been trading some six years, and I've made a good sum of money. But I feel like this is. Like I could really elevate my game here. So thank you so much. I, I can't say how much I appreciate it, sir. That's no problem at all, buddy. It's been fun. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Traders, thank you guys so much for joining us here at Trade Delicious. If you like, please like and subscribe to the video for more of this kind of information. We, we look forward to showing you more of these types of incredible traders and learning more from incredible human beings like Paul. As always, please trade well and trade delicious. We'll see you. Now, Paul, 